In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And those two things were kept separate. Heaven, you see, that's the place where God dwells. And the earth is the center of creation. And so because it's at the center of creation, God puts something very, very special there. He creates beings who've been made in his image to rule over the rest of that creation. They're made in his image, and so their very presence points back to him. And then in Genesis chapter 2, we read this story of how the first marriage came about. You see, Adam, he was alone. And while he had animals and he had a calling to rule over creation, he was still alone. And so God provided him with Eve. Now, Adam and Eve, they were different, two separate people. But God had made them for each other. And he made a way for them to come together. And so in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, we hear this. That this is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now you see, that verse is interesting because it explains something very important that God had said in the first chapter of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, he says this, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. You see, there's something powerful and important and special that is present when Adam and Eve, two separate human beings, but who are made for each other, become one flesh. When they come together, when they're married, the image of God shines forth of them in a unique way. And that's why a man leaves his father and mother and he's united to his wife. Because we were made to glorify God in this way. And we know something else here too. We know that God loves to make different and separate things that are made for each other. So Genesis 1 and 2, these are the first two chapters of the Bible. Well, in the last two chapters, we have a a similar but different picture. In Revelation chapter 21 and 22, there's this incredible picture that God will one day bring heaven and earth together. I found this picture for this, and that's the best one I could find, although it does kind of look like there's a spaceship orbiting earth or something. But that's the, the idea of the heavenly city coming down. The picture in Revelation 21 and 22 is that the new heaven and new earth, they come together almost like a husband and wife, in marriage. They're made for each other. Now, marriage is all over the Bible. And if you didn't realize, if you haven't picked up on it yet, that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about marriage. Now, I have been happily married for nine years, which makes me a complete and total expert on this subject. Not even a little bit. It makes me nothing other than an amateur just beginning. I know there are people here who have decades and decades and decades of marriage and experience shared together with another person. If all we wanted to do this morning is to speak from experience about marriage, I'd just get out of the way and have some of you come up and share. 
But that's not the plan. The plan today is to share with you what Scripture says about marriage. God is trying to accomplish something amazing through this practice, and Scripture points us to it. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. We're doing this because the church in general has not done a great job talking about marriage itself. It's not hard to find resources or or sermon series on how to be married well, right? How a spouse should love another spouse, and those are good and important, and I am certainly not saying anything negative there, but we are a little bit afraid of talking about marriage itself. We're much more comfortable when we can say, here's what marriage isn't supposed to be, rather than here's why marriage is. And I want to do that today. I want to go through and I want to talk about why marriage is, what marriage is supposed to accomplish, why God has given it to us. And I think that there'll be something valuable here for you if you are not yet married and hope one day to become so, if you're not married and don't hope one day to become so, if you're married currently or you have been in the past, I think that learning and getting a grasp on why God gave us marriage can be beneficial to all of us. And then, uh, after we do that, after we talk about why, we're going we're gonna to go through a few practical questions about marriage. So, the bookends of the Bible are full of references to marriage. Adam and Eve and heaven and earth. Two separate things becoming one. And in both cases, they point to the loving presence of God in his creation and with his people. But they point to something else, too. I think that the the best passage to describe the purpose of marriage in Scripture is Ephesians 5, 21 to 33. I want to read part of that here. Starting with verse 25. You can follow along on the screen or if you'd like to with your own Bible. Husbands... Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Now, there are a thousand reasons for marriage. It's important to say that. We can't point to one thing and say this reason and this reason only is a reason or is the reason for marriage. But at its core, at the very root of all of it, there's this. Marriage is the best picture we have of the relationship with Christ and his people. And that's why the Apostle Paul uses marriage as an example to describe this relationship between Christ and the church. Adam was not complete until he was married to Eve. And in a much deeper way, 
That reality, that reality of marriage points to something much deeper, and it points to the fact that no human being is complete until they are committed and covenanted with Christ. Marriage helps us understand the gospel, and the gospel helps us understand marriage. But we're going to talk more about that in a moment. But here is the single-sentence sermon summary this morning. If you would like to, if you want to take a note, if you want to write this down in the bulletin, you're welcome to. The single-sentence sermon summary is this. Marriage was created by God to reflect the relationship between Christ and his people. Marriage was created by God to reflect the relationship between Christ and his people. Now that might sound a little strange. It might not be what you would have thought marriage was for. But I promise you, if you, can, if you can set this in your mind, if you can keep hold of it, it'll make answering tough questions that come up around marriage much easier. Marriage was created by God to reflect the relationship between Christ and his people. So what are some of these tough questions about marriage? Well, I think that uh, uh, there could be a few, right? We're going we're gonna to dive into a few. But there, there could be a few. The first one might be something like, and some of you might have wondered this before, um, if we get married, will he start magically picking up his clothes from the floor? I'm going to go ahead and suggest that that's not the case. I'm sure no one here is ever worried about that. Another one I got in premarital counseling once was, if, I, if we get married, do I have to spend more time with her than I do with my friends? That's a, that's a question that might mean there's, there's more to talk about before you get married, right? There's a hundred little things or a thousand little questions we don't understand. I know that for me, getting married was an education. Lisa's not here this morning. She's helping care for our new nephew, so I have a little bit of license and freedom this morning to share what I'm about to share. No, 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 no. Uh, but I, I was blown away by how many things I didn't know. I got married, and I had no idea what a fitted sheet was. And I cannot believe, I cannot believe they've created such a thing that cannot be folded well by one person. It is not possible, right? There's a lot of questions that, that come up for us when, when we get married. But as we think about marriage in general, there's a couple of questions I'd like to go through. One of those is this. Should I get married? There's a passage I'd like to share with you from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, and it says this. Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Marriage is an interesting thing because our culture just expects it. It is very rare for a person to say, I don't want to get married. I'm happy being single. Especially a person in the church, there's this, this unspoken expectation that you're going to get married. And I, I think that's an understandable thing, right? We just read about how it's not good for man to be alone, that Eve was made for Adam, that there's a completeness and an, a, a, a reflection of the image of God when the man and a woman come together but, marriage is a reflection of the gospel. It's a very good and wonderful thing. But Paul says it's good 
to stay unmarried. And that isn't just to widows, it's for everyone who is not married. He says, if you can, you should. Why? Well, see, in marriage, you gain this incredible relationship of give and take. You, you gain this incredible relationship where you point one another toward Jesus, where you, you have someone who will help you work on your flaws, who will give you a greater picture, a clearer picture of the love of Jesus by a lifelong accepting love. It's a wonderful and freeing thing. It's a very, very good thing. But in singleness, you have this greater freedom to serve the Lord. And that's also a very good thing. If we've gotten to a place where we think something is wrong with a Christian person who says, I'm, I'm single and I feel called to singleness, then we've done wrong. Scripture is clear. This is a good and admirable thing for those who are called to it. And this is something I've had to repent of a little bit. When our college students have gone away and have come back and I meet up with them for coffee and we sit at the blend, we know what one of the first things I've always asked was, so did you meet any guys at college? Did you meet any girls at college? Are you dating? Because it's something that, that, that's likely to be going on in their life and I want to give them a chance to, to have a spiritual conversation about it and that's not a bad thing. But but it can present this expectation that this is what you're supposed to do. And actually, that's not the case. Scripture says it's good for a person to be single if they can. And the reason for that is because there's only two good ways to approach marriage or singleness. The first one is this, to be single for God's glory. Right? If marriage reflects the gospel, being single can reflect the gospel too by a life being totally caught up in the freedom to serve the Lord in whatever way he calls. The other good option is to be married for God's glory, to partner with someone, to keep Jesus at the center of your marriage together, and to serve him together. Either one is good, but those are the only two Good options. And if a person is single, they should be single for God's glory until they are married for God's glory. So the question, should I get married? That's something you really do need to ask. And that's something we should encourage our young people to ask. Instead of an assumption that it's supposed to happen, a real conversation, are you called to singleness? Does God have a special plan for you that that requires you to, to be freer, to devote all your time, or much more of it, to the Lord's service. Another question that we need to, to ask about marriage is, how do I choose a spouse? How do I choose a spouse? I think the best way to start this is to say it this way. To find someone who will love you like Jesus does, who will have that self-giving, that self-sacrificial love to you. And that should be present on both sides. It's not just that you want to find that person who's going to let the marriage be all about you. That's actually not a healthy dynamic at all. It's something both people should be committed toward, putting the other one first. 
And if you can do that, if you can actually be committed to loving the other one first, with Christ at the center, you'll have an amazing relationship. So another way I like to say it is this. In Jesus, God steps down from heaven. God the Son, the Son of God, he takes on human flesh. He lives. He shows us how to live. He suffers. He sacrifices. And he dies for us. It's a self-sacrificial love. If you can do for your spouse what God did for you in Jesus, to love sacrificially, to put your own wants and needs and desires second and prefer theirs. And of course, that can go too far. And of course, that can be unhealthy if it's taken to the extreme. But if you can deny yourself and love them, then you're going to do it right. So how do you know how to choose a spouse? Well, there's this passage that we go through a lot. It's in Proverbs chapter 31. Now, Proverbs chapter 31 talks about a wife of noble character. One of the things I like to do in premarital counseling is is to just not worry so much about the wife part of that because there's characteristics about a spouse of either gender that I think are essential and so important that are described in Proverbs 31. A good way to to know if you're ready to marry is if you can read Proverbs 31 and see yourself in there, man or woman. And a good way to know if the other person is the one you should marry or should consider marrying is if you can see them in there too. Now, I'm not talking about every bit of it, right? Some of it's very bound to its time. There's some parts of Proverbs 31 that just aren't going to resonate today. But there are five things talked about that I think are a great picture of a person who will make a good Christian husband or wife. First, a person needs to be faithful, right? A person who's ready to commit to say yes to one and no to three and a half billion others. A person who's willing to make you the one forever. That's that's an essential part. Number two, a person who's willing to love. Remember, to love means to seek another's highest good, who's willing to put you and your needs first. Three, a person committed to service, both serving their spouse and serving the kingdom. Right, who's ready to live a life of service. Four, a person with maturity. Person with maturity. A great deal of the issues that come up in marriage happen because of immaturity. Immaturity in the faith and emotional immaturity. Choosing a person who is mature and being a person who is mature are important. And the most important, it's listed last in Proverbs 31, that's why it's listed last here, but it is by far the most important, the fear of of the Lord, a person who believes and has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is the most important part 
of this. Why? Because marriage is a reflection of the gospel. To be able to to show Jesus to someone, to live out the love of Jesus to someone, cannot be done unless you're committed to him. Now that looks like a lot of different things for a lot of different people, but I want to say this, the fear of the Lord is important. So how do you choose a spouse? Proverbs 31 is a good guide. Find someone who will love you like Jesus does. Find someone you're willing to love like Jesus does. And the third question I want to ask this morning, is divorce the right answer? I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer here because I know that there are people that that have divorce in their past that are here at church this morning. And it's a touchy, touchy subject. So let me tell you what we're not about to do. We're not about to go through and analyze whether or not a decision a person has made in the past was good, bad, right, or wrong. That's not what today is about. What I want to do is I want to talk about what Scripture says. Now, God does not like divorce. It is never the ideal. It always means that something has gone wrong. If you think about marriage being a reflection of the gospel, then that means that divorce is tearing away at God's redemptive plan for the world. It's a big deal. But there are times when something has happened and a marriage is no longer able to do that, to reflect the gospel to the world. It does seem like there's three times in Scripture, three instances where Scripture specifically tells us the divorce is permissible. And I think it's valuable for us to talk about them, but it is also important for us to remember to be wise and to be careful not to judge because we don't know what has happened in a situation we're not part of. And so I want to encourage you this morning that if your first thought is to analyze whether or not someone else's decision was a good one, that you need to stop that. That's, that's sin and that's not a good thing. You don't know what you don't know. So judgment is not the purpose this morning. I also want to say this before we go through these three. Nowhere in scripture does it say that one of these means divorce must happen. But that it can happen. So the first one is this. Faithlessness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 15 to 17, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you'll save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you'll save your wife? Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. In other words, if one of you is a Christian and one of you is not, Paul says, I encourage you to stay, but it's permissible to go. And that's hard because it's a very practical and true thing that if there is a difference in the, the, the commitment, the spiritual commitment in a couple, it creates tension, it creates strife. But if one person is in, committed to Jesus, and the other one is not, Paul says, I encourage you to stay, but it's permissible to go. 
The second reason is this, infidelity. Matthew 19.9 says this, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The marriage is a covenant. A covenant is a mutual commitment with promises both ways. Faithfulness is part of the core of it. And when that is broken, when that is shattered, Scripture does say it's permissible. Because you cannot reflect the gospel to the world if faithfulness is broken. There can be repentance and there can be forgiveness. And my goodness, that is a wonderful thing when it happens. But it's hard. Scripture does say that's permissible. And the third one is this, violence. Malachi 2.16. It's, it's interesting. This is a verse that's translated in different ways across different versions. If whatever translation you like to read, if you were to look at it, and whatever translation someone else likes to read would look at it, it'll probably say different things. I'm going to read you what I think is the best. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. In other words, violence. Violence cannot be a part of a healthy marriage. If there is abuse, whether it's physical or verbal or emotional, that's a violation of a marriage covenant. And I do want to encourage, I, I, I hope that it is not the situation of anyone that is here. But if it is, I want to encourage you to speak to someone. Don't allow a situation that's unhealthy to stay private. It's not good for you, and it's not good for them. But two, I want to tell you that if you're the one that finds yourself in the place where you're saying or doing or behaving in ways that are abusive, it's not okay, and you need to tell someone, and you need to get help. Third, yes, this is a time when it is acceptable for a marriage to end. It's hard to talk about divorce. It's not a part of our culture that we were glad for. Right now, outside of the church and the culture as a whole, about 50% of marriages end that way. Inside of the church, it's much better. It's a much smaller amount. Christian marriages tend to be much healthier than that, but it happens here too. But the important thing to remember is the reason that's so hard for us is because of how important marriage is. Marriage is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. Inside of a marriage covenant, we can find a relationship that will teach us about ourselves and teach us about the Lord in ways that almost nothing else can. It can be sanctifying and encouraging. It can build you up. It's wonderful and beautiful and stressful and messy. It's part of God's plan for us. And if you're called to it, I want to encourage you to do it well. Because God wants to use your marriage to tell the gospel. God wants to use your marriage as a picture of Christ and the church. God wants to use you in your marriage to show what his unconditional love is like to your spouse. He wants to use you to teach them about Jesus and to help them to be more like 
him. If you're going into a marriage hoping that the person will leave you alone and not ask you to change, then you're hoping that the person won't love you because you cannot love someone without wanting them to change. In my experience, I didn't know how many things needed to change until I'd been married for a little while, and poor Lisa, I don't think she knew how many things in me needed to change until we'd been married for a little while. And I think that's an experience that's common, but it is wonderful. So I want to encourage you, if marriage is what you're planning on, if marriage is where you find yourself, let God use you to show others and your spouse his wonderful, redemptive, unconditional love. If marriage is not where you find yourself, I want you to know that that doesn't mean something is wrong with you. If you're called to singleness, you are called to singleness, and so was the Apostle Paul. That is a wonderful thing. And if marriage is something you're not sure about, I want to tell you that's wonderful. My professor at school, he used to say, and this blew my mind, he used to say he wasn't 100% sure that he was supposed to get married until he was up at the altar saying, I do. I thought, my word, that's pretty late in the game to not be sure. But I also want to tell you this, that once the I do is given, the question is over. You are then called to be a godly husband or a godly wife in any way that you are able. Marriage was created by God to reflect the relationship between Christ and his people. I think if the church is going to be a loud voice in our culture saying this is what marriage isn't supposed to be, then we need to be willing to say what marriage is supposed to be. And I want to encourage you to to think about it that way first and foremost. Created by God to reflect and tell the gospel. Please pray with me. Father God, we come before you so thankful for blessings. We love you and we praise you. We ask you this morning. Each one of us is in a different place. Marriage is a question that almost everyone will at one time think about. Should I get married or should I not? Am I called to singleness or am I called to start a family? Lord, I pray that you give us courage to really ask, to really come to you, to dive into your word, to ask the people that know and love us for godly counsel. And if we decide to get married, Lord, I pray that you give us the courage to choose and the wisdom and discernment to choose a spouse that will honor and glorify you. And if we go go through with marriage, Lord, then I pray that you would Use us in your service to spread the gospel, to work for the gospel, to be a brother and a sister working together in the kingdom. And Lord, when marriage is hard, I pray that you give wisdom about whether or not there's a time for it to end. Lord, we love you, and we praise you. We ask all these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.
Please rise and join us and bind us together.